Well, you can tell by the screen, uh, today we're going to be talking about the title, Simply True. And uh, the, the series we're on is Life Under the Sun, and today's message taken from Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 12 through 26, is titled Simply True. And I'd like us to stand. If you're able to do so, please stand. Uh, I have two verses that I'm going to share uh, with you on the screen. I'd like us to read them together as a family of faith. I think that's healthy for us uh, to do and good of us to do. And I'm going to always encourage you, bring your Bibles. Uh, you know, if you're holding a baby, I get it. Uh, and if you haven't memorized, you know what? Don't worry about a Bible. But you know what? If you're in any other case besides that, bring a Bible, look at your phone, whatever that is, uh, so you can engage with the teaching of God's Word. I think that's healthy for us to do. So Ecclesiastes, simply true. I'm going to turn to verse 24 and 25. I'd like us to read this together as a family of faith. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Lord, this is your word for us today. Take now and use it for our good and for your glory. This we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation can be seated. When I was preparing this week and in the e-news, you saw uh, the, the statement that I made about <clears throat> that it's true things just make life easier. When we recognize and acknowledge some of the simple truths of life, it just makes things go better. And, uh, you know, I was, I used different examples, kind of had a little bit of fun, of course, you know, saying that it's always better to have three pieces of fried chicken than two pieces. I mean, and that's all, that's true in my life, at least. But in all seriousness, as we think about life, there are just certain Truths that, that if, we, if we could receive and, and understand them to be true, just think how much easier things would be for us, all right? And I was thinking about this even this morning in a, in a serious manner. What are some of those things that we could apply even today that would just make life so much different and I, I dare say so much better uh, and, and easier in many ways? And I think one of those truths that we've really fallen away from, fallen off the wagon, is this truth that girls are girls and boys are boys. And it's very obvious what you are at birth, all right? And I think that's, that's one of those truths that, we, that we've fallen away from. And I think back, if we, if we could just figure that out and recognize that boys are boys and girls are girls, I, I wonder how much easier things would be for us even in this culture and in this society. And, and how about this whole topic even of life? If we would come to receive and to understand that the truth that God values life and all of life is precious from conception to natural death, how much better would, would this culture and world be if we would recognize the value and the dignity of every human life as granted by God, as a gift from God? How, how much better would, would that be? And I, I think of uh, just the blessing of that. And, then I, and I think finally and ultimately and We'll talk about that today a little bit too. How about if we just recognize the truth that says God is God and you are not. God is God and you are not. Just think how much better even our, our culture would be if we could recognize and to receive even those truths. Well, Solomon is going to do that for us today. He, he's going to not copy those necessarily, but he is going to set forward to us what I would call simple truths 
that as we apply and as we live in and live under, it will make our walk of faith all the more powerful, all the more effective, and all the more enjoyable. So the theme I want to build upon is real simple. What simple truths does Solomon call us to? What are the truths that Solomon calls us to? And I've identified three that I think that we can dig out of this text, verses 12 through 26 of Ecclesiastes 2, all right? So indulge me, open your Bibles, go to verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, this text. I'll read it, uh, rather, out of the New American Standard Version. I would follow along if you would. First point is this. Death is the great equalizer. Verses 12 through 17 reveal this to us. Death is the great equalizer. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom exceeds folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, insomuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, and the work which had been done under the heaven, under the sun rather, was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. All right? Thus says Solomon, all right? So let's begin. Let's go back to verse 12, all right? Keeping this big point in mind, death is the great equalizer. Notice, first of all, last week we talked about Solomon talking about pleasure, uh, possessions, pride, all his stuff that he had that he was using to find meaning and to find significance, and he was going to test all these things out, and of course we came up with the conclusion that all that stuff in the world didn't bring Solomon ultimate satisfaction. So now Solomon, there's going to be a change of thought in verse 12. Solomon is going to shift from all that stuff. Now he's going to consider wisdom, all right? So verse 12 introduces this new thought. He's going to consider wisdom, And essentially, verse 12 tells us, he says, what will man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And Solomon is essentially saying that that one generation continues to the next generation, and the generation before is essentially forgotten, and the generations that keep coming keep doing the same thing. That this, the same issues that we face now, they're in different forms now, but some of the same problems that our grandparents faced, we face. Some of the same problems of the early church we would face today. Again, they take different forms and different functions sometimes. But Solomon is just saying that that's just the way of the world. That, that's the way that it goes. And one thing leads into another, leads into another. One generation passes, the next takes over, goes through the same cycle, and then there's another cycle, and the same thing happens again. And Solomon is essentially saying there's nothing that's going to change. That's what he's saying. Or Solomon could also be implying that if, if the king is good, the next king should follow in the king's ways that were good, because that would be the best thing that he could do. But in either way, Solomon is really making a declaration that, you know what, this is, this is the way it is. Life, life goes on, life passes through, and, and we, all, we all have this uh, time of our lives, uh, but, but it just it passes. And he's saying that, 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 that that's kind of futile, that there's, just, there's no significance in that. So Solomon is, is hitting on that. Notice what Solomon does 
in verse 13. He comes to verse 13 and he makes a, a great insight. He says, and I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. So Solomon is always telling us, or he's telling us that wisdom is always gain. All right, please know that. We've, we've talked a lot about wisdom last couple weeks uh, and we've described wisdom Remember we talked about wisdom that's under the sun, uh, wisdom that is, is strictly worldly and, and human and rational, if you would. And there's going to be a wisdom that's over the sun, the wisdom of the gospel and the wisdom of Jesus and that kind of thing. Solomon is referring here, uh, I, I believe, even just to worldly wisdom. And what he's saying is that even worldly wisdom is better than worldly foolishness. That we're much better off being wise over that of being stupid. And Solomon is giving us this idea then that there is value in wisdom. And he's saying that the wise man can see the foolish man or the stupid man is blind. So Solomon is kind of hinting that, that regardless of your view of wisdom, regardless of your take on wisdom, that there is a value and there is a goodness in attempting to be wise and attempting to grow in wisdom, all right? Then Solomon, in verses 14 and 15, he uses a very interesting idea, and this is where I get the main point here. Notice what Solomon does in verses 14 and 15. He says, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And then he says, And I know, and yet I know, that one fate befalls them both. Verse 15, Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. And what that word means, that word fate, in verses 14 and 15, although Solomon doesn't say in that text, death, fate, I believe, is implied by it. And that word fate in the Hebrew means an event or an occurrence. Now, when it's used, it can be an event or occurrence that's positive or negative, but nonetheless, it refers to an event or an occurrence that is oftentimes beyond human control. And Solomon, I believe, is pointing us to the fact that all of us, unless, uh, until, unless the Lord tarries, all of us, all of us, unless the Lord comes, are going to face what? Death. We're all going to die. None of us are exempt. Now, some of us, as we grow older, feel that we're much closer than some of you that are younger. But we know that's not necessarily true either. Death can claim the old, and death can claim the young. And it's interesting because we, we know not our times. That's Scripture. And what this does is this helps us with a sobering reminder that all of us are going to face death. And I don't mean to be a downer here. This, this, is, this is good because guess what? Death is part of living. In order to understand life, we've got to understand death. And sadly, so much in our world, we want to ignore death. We, we want to talk about life and living and fun and all that stuff, and that, that's good. But we can't do so at the cost of talking about death and what it is to die and what the happens and what's the significance of that. And we're going to get to that in a couple of sermons later. But I want you to see, first of all, that death is that great equalizer. And Solomon literally is bemoaning the fact, Solomon is the wisest guy in the village, all right? There's no doubt. Solomon is the wisest guy in the village. And guess what's going to happen? When Solomon dies, he's going to get put into a box and get put in the ground, and guess who's going to be next to Solomon? The village idiot. That's what Solomon's saying. That his wisdom for as wise as he is, that's not going to save him. 
Now, again, not that that's a bad thing. We're going to come back to that. But it's important for us to know that that wisdom in and of itself, for as good as it is, is not going to save you. You can be the wisest guy in the world and you can be buried next to the village fool. That's the point the psalm is making, that death is the great equalizer. And we would see this played out in other places in Scripture. Go with me. Keep your thumb in Ecclesiastes 2. Go to Psalm 49. Psalm 49 uh, just verifies this so well. And then notice, I will, I will hearken to verse 16 of Ecclesiastes 2. And then notice when he says, For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. All right? So again, no remembrance. Um, they're they're going to be buried the same. Death comes to them. Go with me to Psalm 49, beginning in verse 10. And I like, I like this because it, it plays out so well. It just proves out so well uh, this same point that we've talked about uh, in, in Ecclesiastes 2. Psalm 49, if I can find it here. Psalm 49, uh, verse 10, starting in verse 10. Listen to what uh, this text says. It says, For he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names, but man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. And then notice, he goes on in verse 16, Do not be afraid when man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you and you do well for yourself, you shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. And I thought that was so sobering to recognize, and I think that's what Solomon's point is, is that we can seek to be wise, we can seek to do all of these things, but ultimately and finally, death is the great equalizer. Now, I think it's important before we leave this point. I don't want to speak ill of wisdom because wisdom is a good thing, and, and, and Solomon's going to speak to that. In fact, let's take time. Let's walk through Ecclesiastes, just a few verses for us to kind of get an idea of how Solomon uses the word wisdom. And what my point is is that wisdom is a good thing. Remember we talked about how wisdom excels folly? Wisdom is a good thing, but what Solomon is pointing out is that wisdom is not the only thing. Wisdom cannot be that source of total reliance in our lives. But that doesn't mean that wisdom isn't valuable. It doesn't mean that wisdom isn't to be sought. It isn't, doesn't mean that wisdom isn't to be pursued. All right. So take a little bit of time. Go back to Ecclesiastes. A couple of verses. Start with chapter 7, verse 12. Notice what happens in Ecclesiastes 7, 12. Solomon is talking about wisdom. Uh, in verse 12, he says, For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. So if we go based upon that text, what do we learn about wisdom? Wisdom gives life and protects life. It preserves life and protects life. Verse 19, same idea. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. The same idea being is that wisdom does a good thing here. What's wisdom do? Wisdom gives strength. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. And what that means is that wisdom gives light and causing a stern face to beam means to bring joy. That that wisdom brings joy and provides joy in one's life. And then go with me to chapter 9, verse 15 and verse 16. 
But there was found in it, verse 15, a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. And I found this ironic, yet no one remembered this poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. Uh, but it's interesting because we see this, and what's, wisdom, what's, Paul, what's Psalm is saying? Wisdom in verse 15, it delivers a city, and in verse 16, it's, it gives strength. It's better than brute strength. So again, we see the positive element of wisdom, and then we'll close with this one, chapter 10, verse 10. It says, if the axe is dull and does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. So what do we see? Just through these few examples, we see that wisdom is good. However, if wisdom is our only goal, as is pursuit of pleasure, possessions, money, whatever that is, you're, it's going to end up being vanity. That's what Solomon is telling us. Not that wisdom is bad, but when wisdom becomes the sole focus, when wisdom becomes uh, our sole reliance, then we're going to have a, a result in futility and result in vanity. And ultimately and finally, whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, uh, anything in between, what's the main point Solomon makes? They all die alike, and death is the great equalizer. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that death comes to us all. And we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for that, even though we don't want to talk about it, because death is the great equalizer. Great and least all die. All right? Number two, and let's go to verses 18 through 23. All right? Verses 18 through 23. And this is one we, we know for sure uh, is true, but I think necessary for us just to read through it, it is this. You can't take it with you. Verses 18 through 23. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. Uh, when there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving in which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Go back to verse 18. What's the key idea? What does Solomon do? All that he worked for, what's he going to do? The last part of verse 18, it says, I must leave it to the man who will come after me. <laughs> Why is that? For all that he had, Solomon couldn't take one iota or one penny with him. All right? Jo Job is a great example. Remember the text, Job 121? Help me with that, okay? Job says in verse chapter 121, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and what? Naked I shall return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew that to be true, and we need to recognize that as well, that we can't take it with us, all right? We can't take it with you. No matter what you have, you can't take it with you, all right? What's interesting about this, and I don't believe Solomon is speaking to that, but, but he's saying he's going to leave this for the guy that comes after me, and who knows what he's going to do with it, all right? And you, do you know what happened to Solomon after he died? <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 12, time won't permit us to go there today, but 1 Kings chapter 12, <clears throat> the last part of verse chapter 11, talks about Solomon's death. 
And then a young man, a son named Rechoboam takes over. And Rechoboam, we could call him, he was a fool. All right, Rechoboam was a fool. And Rechoboam, as he came in, he wanted advice. Excuse me. As Rechoboam came in, he asked for advice. And he asked for advice amongst um, the, the old timers, those that gave Solomon advice. And then he asked for advice from the young bucks. All right. Do you remember who, whose advice he took? Who, whose advice did Rechoboam take? The old, wise, trusted advisors or the young bucks? He took the young bucks, right? And what happened? He squandered Solomon's entire kingdom. In fact, the kingdom was split under the reign of Rechoboam. So it's so true. Solomon was like prophetic looking ahead because that's what was going to happen to his own kingdom. He couldn't take it with him. He was going to leave it to his son and his son was going to ruin it and it's all going to be gone. And it's interesting because in this text, Solomon also makes reference, I believe, to this whole idea of worry and fretting and concern. All right, go with me if you would to verse 23. Notice what Solomon says. Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. This spoke to my own heart. And again, I'm going to be careful because there, there's nothing wrong with a desire to do better for yourself. There's nothing wrong to desire to improve one's lot in life. Nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes so much of your focus that you lay in bed at night and worry and fret and have this angst that you're not even able to rest, that's a problem. And what Solomon is saying, he said that no amount of worry, no amount of angst, no amount of concern can add a single day to one's life. And we do well to remember that. Because there are nights I go to bed, I'm thinking about all the stuff that's got to happen and how I hope things all go and you, you just you can't even get any rest. It happens to all of us. And yet Solomon is making this declaration, again, not that we're just supposed to be foolish and not care or not be concerned, but really any amount of worry isn't, isn't going to be able to add one day, one moment to your life. And we need to recognize that. And we need to recognize also that you can't take it with you. But the sad fact is is that so many people live like they can. And what I mean by that is this, is that so many lives, and I would suspect some even here, whole life is spent getting ahead, getting more, being bigger and better, acquiring, getting stuff, being, being able to provide all, all these things. And again, in and of themselves, some, some of this, to some extent, is, is good. We, we need to work. We need to labor. We need to have an income. But when that becomes your sole idea, your sole identity, and your sole thought is to have more and more and more stuff, guess what? Death is your great equalizer. And number two, you can't take it with you. And what I find cruelly ironic is that so many people invest all of their life in gaining and securing something they cannot take 
with them. And all the while ignoring the very thing that they can take with them. And what is that? What, what do we take with us into eternity? We take our soul. Our soul is our most precious possession. And tragically, so many people spend all of their life investing and gaining stuff to the neglect of their soul. That's the cruel irony and one that we need to recognize when we recognize death is the great equalizer. Number two, you can't take it with you, right? Number three, going to get to the good stuff now, right? Number three, eat, drink, and enjoy. Eat, drink, and enjoy. Verses 24, 25, and 26. We'll read 24 and 25 for sure. It says, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? All right. So what are we going to do with this now? It's interesting because this, this is kind of, this is good stuff now, right? We've kind of been kind of on this downer road, right? Kind of discouraging road. It's like, oh man, what's, when we get, this, is, this is good. Solomon is saying this. He's saying eat, drink, and enjoy. Now, I don't believe Solomon is meaning this in a completely physical way that we're just supposed to eat and drink and party and carry on and have fun. I don't, I don't think that's what Solomon's meaning. Solomon tried that and it didn't work. What Solomon's meaning by eat and drink and enjoy is to, to come together and enjoy, if you would, the basic necessities of life. And he's calling us not to fancier, bigger, better, more. He's calling us to cherish the simple things in our lives. He's calling us to cherish the non-complicated things in life. He's calling us not to a life of luxury, but a life of contentment with the lot that God has placed you in. That's what Solomon is doing here. And he's saying, enjoy the work that you do. Enjoy that place that God has placed you. And it's interesting because far too often we take a look at the gifts that God gives us. We, we think of these gifts and we think of these gifts as stepping stones to something better and something more. And we use these gifts in order to gain more. We use these gifts to acquire more. And again, not that work is bad, not that acquiring things is bad, but when that becomes our sole focus, when that becomes the extreme that we look to, that's, what's, that's what we're talking about here. Solomon is saying this. He's saying that we, we, we're not able to use these gifts as stepping stones to get more and when we view these gifts as stepping stones when we view these gifts as a way to increase my self-awareness and my self-knowledge when I see this as a way of figuring out the world and figuring out life that's the mistake and and what that error is is this is that we begin to take that which is a gift and we worship the gift rather than what the giver that's what Solomon is saying. And verse 24 and 25 bring us back, I believe, such a, just like a slam dunk. This is a mic drop. And Solomon is acknowledging that amidst of everything that he had, that he had been in error and he had begun to celebrate the gift rather than the giver. And what Solomon recognizes in the end here is that by God's grace alone, it's not by gaining that Solomon finds contentment and enjoyment, but Solomon can find contentment and enjoyment not from gaining, but from receiving. And the very contentment that we can know in life 
is not something that you can strive for. It's something that God willingly gives to you. That's what Solomon is talking about. And, and that, that's, I, I love this because it reminds me to find joy in the simple things. <laughs> to, to find joy in the place that God has put you. To, to find joy uh, in, in all, that, all that God has given us as good gifts. But don't, don't, don't worship the gift. Worship the one who gives the gifts. That's the whole idea here. And, and we need to recognize that and to know that. And that's why this is, that verse 25 especially, this is kind of like that. A little ray of sunlight. <laughs> a little ray of sunlight amongst a book that's been kind of discouraging up to this point in a way. Uh, but, but that's the idea here, that we're to, to give thanks and to receive that which God gives to us. And Solomon finally is recognizing that he's not able to secure this contentment, but this contentment comes from the hand of God. I'm going to close uh, today with an example of a gal I was reading a blog by. Her name is Anna Mosley. And it was interesting because it was a blog on contentment. And she talked about how, you know, she's a pretty successful blogger, I guess, I mean, by blogger standards. And then many people have talked to her and said, oh, you need to write a book, you know. And, and you, you know, you need to be on the main stage. You should, you should be a speaker at one of these big conferences. And you know, when enough people tell you that, what happens to you? It messes with your mind, doesn't it? And you begin to think, yeah, yeah, I, I, I should be used that way. And it was funny because Anna found herself being more and more discontented, <laughs> because she didn't land that big book deal. She didn't land that invitation to come and speak in front of 50,000 women at some gala event. And it was interesting because she said, I, I, I kind of was growing discontent. I was actually growing frustrated. And then one day in church, pastor had said something about contentment. And then Anna said like a bolt of lightning, it came to my mind and my heart that God is calling me to be present in the present. <laughs> Make sense? Be present in the present. And to enjoy the good things that God is granting to you in the moment. And Anna said what I recognized right away. I needed to cherish and give thanks for a husband of 17 years. I wanted to give thanks for two children two little girls and the opportunity that we have to raise these girls up to be women that fear the Lord and love Jesus. The opportunity even just to worship. And she said, I recognized that I need to be thankful for the good gifts that come to me from the hand of God. These simple, simple gifts are oftentimes the most profound gifts that we can receive. And dear friends, I would leave that advice with you as well. That we would recognize not to value the gift over the giver. And that we would recognize that this also is true. Simply true, actually. <laughs> Enjoyment is not in getting, but in receiving what God gives. Heavenly Father, this is your word for us today. And pray that you would use it in all of our lives. And then again, even last week, we used this phrase that Jesus is enough, Christ is enough, God, you are enough. And I pray that we would find our satisfaction in thee. And Lord, that we would give thanks 
for the gifts that you give to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.